I don't think I have any more announcements to give. So we want to uh, go into the Word of God. It's pretty warm, isn't it? Are you warm? Are you comfortable? Are you just nice? You're warm, but trouble is if you turn the heat off, it gets cool pretty quickly. And now that you're not standing or singing or like Sarah dancing or waving your arms about, you probably you probably cool down a little bit. All right, come with me please this morning to book of Isaiah, chapter 57. Should I say also, uh, speaking about Christine there, and I put this in the little bulletin for the home groups. Uh, for those of you who have been inquiring about Claire, she's out of hospital. She had to spend uh, three days in the hospital at the beginning of the week. Uh, she, it was really touch and go for her. And, uh, but thankfully, uh, they got her settled down again, and, and pregnancy is on course. She's 32 weeks, and so she gets another six, eight weeks over, she'll be, she'll be happy. Uh, but she's getting there bit by bit. It's been a very, very difficult time. Uh, but day by day and week by week, she's getting there slowly. And uh, her mom and I have said, no more, please. Never again. Our nerves can't stand this. <laughs> Whenever you're 8,000 miles away, there's not a big lot you can do. Sure, there's not. Can't hop on an easy jet. So, uh, so at least at this present time, everything's well. So appreciate all of your prayers and your concerns about that. All right, so Isaiah chapter 57, and reading uh, just one verse, verse 15. For thus says the high and lofty one, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. For thus saith the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and a humble spirit. Now when attempting to describe the nature and the attributes of the Lord God, theologians uh, love to use big words. Uh, big words like omnipotence, which means all-powerful, omni, all, potent, powerful. Another word they're fond of using, of course, is omnipresent. Omni, all or everywhere, present. God is everywhere present. And omniscience, God is all-knowing, all-seeing God. Another two words that they like to use is transcendence and eminence. Transcendence and eminence. Now, these two words, transcendence simply means above all, all surpassing. And so whenever we think of God in terms of transcendence, we think of God as above all. He's all surpassing. Eminence means within, indwelling, near, close. Now, eminence is not to be confused with eminent. 
imminent uh, means uh, soon, about to happen. Whenever we speak of Christ's return to this earth, we say it's imminent, it's soon, it's about to happen. It could happen at any moment. But imminent, that word means near or close or indwelling or within. And so whenever we put these two words together uh, with reference to God, we're simply saying that God is the most high God. He's transcendent, but He's also the most nigh God. He's imminent, He's near, He's close. He indwells every believer by His Spirit. And so, this scripture we just read beautifully illustrates that. For thus saith the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. So that's transcendence. And with him who has a contrite and humble spirit, eminence, with him, close to him. And in our case as believers, of course, within us. And so, afar yet near, above yet within, most high yet most nigh. And there are a number of scriptures, I'll just give you one or two, uh, that particularly speaks of his transcendence. For instance, in Isaiah uh, chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 40, and if I read from verse 12, speaking about God, this transcendent, far above all God, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance, who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, or who, or as his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket, and are counted as a small dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the isles as a very little thing, and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn nor its beasts sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness will you compare to him? The workman molds an image, the goldsmith overspreads it with gold, and the silversmith casts silver chains. Whoever is too impoverished for such a contribution chooses a tree that will not rot. He seeks for himself a skillful workman to prepare a carved image that will not totter. And then if you read away on uh, down in verse 25, To whom will you liken me? Or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number, who calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and by the strength of his power. Not one is missing. And so that's speaking very obviously of his transcendence, the fact that he is far above all. 
And then Psalm 104. Psalm 104, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty, who cover yourself with light as with a garment, who stretch out the heavens like a curtain. He lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters, who makes the clouds his chariot, who walks on the wings of the wind, who makes his angels spirits, his ministers a flame of fire. You who laid the foundations of the earth so that it should not be moved forever. You covered it with the deep as with a garment and the water stood above the mountains. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27. Solomon is praying the great prayer of dedication to the magnificent temple that he's built. And part of that prayer, here's what he says. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold heaven... And the heaven of heavens cannot continue, how much less this temple which I have built. Again, speaking of God's transcendence. In Acts 17, 24, Apostle Paul is standing on Mars Hill, Areopagus, that place in Athens where people would meet. It was a bit like Speaker's Corner in London where people would stand on a soapbox and talk about everything and people would challenge them and hackle them. Well, there's a place like that in Athens, and Paul stood up there, and he said, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Reminding them that God was simply above all, he was all-surpassing. Isaiah 66 and 1, thus saith the Lord, heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. So it's important, first of all, this morning, for us to see that God is above all, that He is transcendent, that He's all-surpassing. Scriptures that we read together those moments tells us that God is far above nature. You know, man puts great stock in so-called mother nature rather than father God. But God is above nature. In spite of all that nature is throwing at mankind today with its volcanoes, and see that in Chile today, I see another great eruption of another volcano. There's a great chain of volcanoes in Chile, and one has erupted like the one in Iceland just a couple of weeks ago, and it's spewing all kinds of ash and dust up into the atmosphere. And uh, we have tsunamis and earthquakes and tremors and cyclones and tornadoes and all kinds of stuff that, that nature has thrown at mankind. Thank God He is above all of that. He's above the nations we read. Counts them as a, as a drop in a bucket. As a small dust of the balance or of the scales. You know, you get the image of, of those scales, you know, with a dish on each side and a fulcrum in the middle and, and the balance there, and they put a, a gram of this on that and a gram on that, and they balance out. Well, God says the nations are not just like grams on a scale. It's just like the dust that you, you can blow off the scales. Letting us know that God is above the nations. In spite of all the world events that are happening, uh, great talk about the, the Arab Spring uprisings, where all those Arab nations, North Africa and in the Middle East, are uprising and rebelling against their leaders. 
And people's wondering what in the world's happening. It's, suddenly it's all taking place before eyes. It's on the news every night. What's going on? Theologians are saying, what's this to do with the uh, Christ's return? Has it anything to do with it? And so there's great debates going on. God sits high above all of that. He knows exactly what's going on. It's far above all men's determinations. Men makes lots of determinations. Politicians makes lots of determinations every week. Lawmakers. You know, I think one of the saddest things I'm seeing today is how that America uh, spiritually is, is going the way that Britain has been going for a lot of years, becoming much more secular and in many ways anti-Christian. And, and sadly now we've got a president in America who has proclaimed that the whole month of June will be dedicated in honor of homosexuals and lesbians and transvestites. Can you imagine? Do you ever think you'd ever see the day where it's proclaimed that they are to be honored and the nation's to honor them? We thought that only happened in Great Britain with previous and current prime ministers, but and you wonder where all that's going to end, <laughs> where Christians are being squeezed in Britain and now being squeezed in America with the same spirit that's against. But God is above all of that. He transcends all of that and knows exactly what's going on. Nothing of that surprises him. He's above all principalities and powers and might and rulers of the darkness of this age and spiritual wickedness and heavenly places. He's above all of it. This is the God that we serve, as we'll see in a moment. Away in one of the early Psalms, in Psalm 2, it asks the question, Why do the nations rage and people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth sent themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying... Now, this is absolutely relevant, bang up to date with what I've just mentioned a moment ago. Listen to what they're saying. Let us break their bonds and pieces and cast away their cords from us. All those restricting cords of morality... All of those restricting cords of Christianity that wants to hem people in that we cannot do what we want to do. All those thou shalt nots, let's cast them all away. The kings of the earth are saying this. But he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. And he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. God is above all. He's transcendent. Now, of course, our view of life is very limited. Paul says that right now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. But right now, we don't get the full picture. It's blurred by our humanity. It's blurred by our lack sometimes of spirituality. So we're not fully seeing the full picture, but God is. Recently, uh, just last week, uh, I, I noticed that uh, those people in Egypt, the archaeologists in Egypt who are always uh, trying to find uh, you know, artifacts and, and pyramids and all kinds of burial chambers, that very recently, just a, a week or so ago, that a satellite uh, has 
discovered, I think it was maybe 24 or something like that, a great number of brand new pyramids that they never knew were there. Uh, and these pyramids were, were buried underneath thousands of years of desert sands. And they were hid from human eyes, but they weren't hid from the eye in the sky. And, and it gave me a picture of God himself. Lots of stuff are hidden from humanity. They can't see it, but it's not hidden from the eye of God because he's a far above all. He's all surpassing. He's transcendent above all of this stuff. What can our God not see who sits upon the throne above the furthest star, whose very earth, this very earth, is his footstool, whose eyes, the revelations, are a flame of fire, of whom David said in Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. We need to know who is holding control of world events because it looks like from the earthly view that they're spiraling out of control. But from God's view, actually everything is on time. Everything is on time. Especially for the return of His Son, which is imminent. So we need to remind ourselves who is in control of this life. And it's this transcendent God that the Bible says in Psalm 76 verse 10 that even He can make the very wrath of man to praise Him. Isn't that amazing? Man can do his worst and he can shake his puny fist at God and he can do all kinds of things upon the earth to, to bring an attack against godliness and, and, and holiness. And you know what? God can even make his very wrath praise him in the end. And this is this great, almighty, transcendent God that we serve and that we know. And so in spite of all that we see around us, the madness, the economic crises, the wars, the rumors of wars, the natural disasters, and all of that, only a transcendent God could say to us in the midst of all of that chaos, as Jesus said in Matthew 24, see that you be not troubled. <laughs> Isn't that a powerful statement? Everybody but See that you be not troubled. We know what's going on, but we know who is above it all. So Jesus says, see that you be not troubled. All these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. He's in control of it all. And so can we trust this most high God, this God who is above all, who is all-surpassing, who is transcendent. Can we trust Him to take control of our lives? The one who sees the nations as a drop in the bucket. The one who wraps Himself in light, who rides upon the winds of the wind as chariots. Can we trust Him today? We need to consider the bigness of God, the glory of God, the magnificence of God, the transcendence of God. This changes our view entirely about him. I often like to think, and remember years ago I was driving along, uh, it's a way out near where I used to live, and uh, there's a 
Slamish Mountains there. Some of you maybe have climbed Slamish Mountain, I'm not sure. But, you know, on the journey to there, when you look in the distance, it just seems so small. And any mountain from a distance does seem so small. But as you drive and you get closer and closer and closer and closer, suddenly it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and you become smaller and smaller. Now, actually nothing's changed other than your perspective. The mountain is the same size as it's always been. You're the same size as you've always been. But the closer you get to it, the more you see it in its fullness. And the closer we get to the Lord, the bigger our perspective of Him becomes. He's, he's unchanging. He's always been the same. But our view of Him, our perspective of Him, entirely changes. And then we can see Him transcendent, big, almighty, the creator of the ends of the earth. We can see all of that. And I've often said that we would either look at our problems through God or we would look at God through our problems. We would either look at our problems through God or we would look at God through our problems. Which lens are you looking through? If you look at God through the lens of your problems, God will seem very small unhelpful, aloof, distant, uncaring, because your problems will be so big. But if you look at your problems through the lens of God, then you'll say, God can take care of this. God can meet this need. It's not bigger than God. There's nothing greater or bigger than God. So God is above this. He's beyond this. So it depends on your view, doesn't it? It depends how you look at things. So we've got to believe that God is in control. He's working behind the scenes of our lives. Now you must say, how can I relate to a God who is so high and lofty and transcendent and afar above, who counts the nations a drop in a bucket? How can I ever possibly relate to such an almighty God? Now the Greeks, of course, they had their pantheon of gods. They had many, many gods, and, and Zeus was their great supreme ruler. And the Romans, they had many gods too, and Jupiter was like Zeus. That was their supreme god, and Egypt had Ra, and you could go on through many of the nations. They all had their gods, and they all had their supreme gods, and, and they believed that their supreme god was transcendent, that he was Zeus or Jupiter or Ra, was above all, and gave life to all. And we believe that our God is transcendent, is all-surpassing, is above all. But what's the difference between their belief in their gods and our belief in the Judeo-Christian God? What is the difference? The difference is that not only a part, of course, that there's mythological, but they believed it. The difference is, of course, that we believe that God is not only transcendent, but He is eminent. Not only is he far above, but he is, for the believer, he is within. Not only is he all-surpassing and transcendent, but he is near. He's close. By his Spirit, he resides within us. And that's the major difference. And that's why we have to not just believe in transcendence when we think about God, but in his eminence. And that's what makes the difference. John's Gospel, chapter 1 Again, 
shows us these two things in, in contrast here. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through, sorry, all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. And then that speaks of His transcendence, showing Him to be the creator of the ends of the earth. And of course, then when you go down to verse 14, and the Word, that same transcendent creator God, became flesh and dwelt amongst us. That's His eminence. And we beheld His glory as the only, glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. No better place is this illustrated than in the incarnation. Emmanuel. God with us. That almighty, transcendent God, yet He's with us. Now, the Most High becomes the Most Nigh. He who was afar draws close. Now, Israel seemed to relate much better to God in His transcendence than He did in His eminence. They were used to His transcendence. They were used to Him being the most high God, the high and the lofty one who inhabits the universe. They could understand that. They could relate to that. They could accept that would be a better term if we can use that. And, and they could see that, of course, uh, whenever they were in Egypt in bondage and how those plagues came and how the death angel passed over them and struck all the firstborn of the households of Egypt. And they could see the transcendence of God. They could see that when they came to the Red Sea and opened before them and they went through on dry ground. They could see that when they came to the swollen Jordan and they were able to go through that on dry ground. All of that spoke of God's transcendence and they could see this almighty God was on their side. They could recognize that. But in his eminence, his nearness, as a baby in a manger, <laughs> as a young man in a carpenter shop in Nazareth, as a despised Galilean from that awful hell hole of Nazareth in Galilee, that is God? <laughs> they didn't get it. They couldn't see it. They didn't understand it. That almighty God, the high and lofty one, <laughs> who inhabits the heavens, would come down to this earth as a human being, flesh and blood like us. Nah, couldn't be couldn't be, but it was, and it is. Is not this the carpenter's son, they said? We know who he is. We know his parents. He's just the carpenter's son. He can't be God. He can't be the son of God. So they failed to recognize God in his imminence. 
which was a great tragedy for Israel, for the nation. Still suffering to this day. Great tragedy. Let us not make the same mistake. It can be easy for us also to forget that this great, almighty, transcendent, far above, all-surpassing God is interested in the tiniest details of your life. He's interested. There's Diane sitting over there, several weeks pregnant. Little life is in her womb. And God is entirely interested in that little babe. Entirely interested. The Bible says he counts the very hairs of our head. This is the imminence of God. This is God drawing close, coming near, coming alongside, interested in every facet, every detail of your life. Smallest details. And this is the wonderful thing about the God that we serve. This God who drew near to us in his incarnation but came to indwell us in redemption, in the new birth. His imminence is complete in that sense on earth. Oh yes, there'll come a day whenever we'll go to heaven. There'll come a day when he'll show us things that at this moment our minds could not even begin to imagine. And no doubt, no question, we'll feel very, 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 very close to this transcendent God who sits upon the throne. But you can't get any closer than you are today because by His Spirit He dwells within you. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Eminence, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27. Acts 17.28, Paul says, In Him, in Him, we live and we move and we have our being. Eminence, closeness, nearness within, indwelling. Isn't it wonderful to realize that this mighty creator God by his spirit indwells every single believer in this house today without exception? Every one of us. I think that's wonderful. That we are the very apple of his eye. Whenever the high priest in the Old Testament, part of his dress was, was this breastplate. It was about 10 inches. It was made of, uh, of, of cloth, about 10 inches square. And on it were four rows of three very precious stones. And on each stone was written the name of a tribe of Israel. And it was close to his heart. Close to his heart. And that lets them, let them know and lets us know, but let them know that Israel was close to his heart. They were his chosen people. And God holds us close to his heart because we are his blood-bought, blood-washed, redeemed, chosen people in His Son, and He holds us 
close to his heart. The Bible says our names are engraven on the palms of his hands. Jeremiah 23, 23. Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? That's eminence, isn't it? See, there's a danger. There's a, there's a danger, because Israel missed us, and there's a danger for us, even as believers, that if we over-focus on God's transcendence, and probably we ought to focus more on it, but if we over-focus on that to the exclusion of His eminence, then it becomes distant, aloof, too far away, too out of our reach, unapproachable. But, on the other hand, if we focus too much and we over-focus on His eminence, His nearness, and his closeness, then, and I've even heard people in prayer, not here, but other, almost as God is just a buddy. It's just like a pal. No, he's not. He is the almighty, transcendent creator God, and let's not ever forget that. And let's not become so familiar that we become irreverent and forget who he really is. So we've got to get the balance between transcendence and eminence, between being a far and being close between above all and being within. And then when we come privately and intimately and closely and personally in prayer to this great almighty God, we've got the right perspective that he is the almighty God, but by his spirit he indwells us and and through his grace and mercy he allows creatures like us to come and approach his throne through his son. What a wonder that is. In James 4 and 8, James says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So this almighty transcendent God wants us to draw near to him, and he draws near to us. Are you beginning to see this morning? Are you getting what I'm saying this morning? Is it sinking in? This wonderful God that we serve who is above all things upon the face of the earth. And yet, through his Son and through his blood on the cross, has given us the awesome privilege of being able to come into his very presence boldly, the Bible says in Hebrews. Not arrogantly, but with confidence that what Christ has done for us has given us that entrance into his holy presence. And so today we have got this great transcendent God who is eminent, who is within us. What more could you ask? Isn't that great news, isn't it? What a wonderful God that we serve today, amen? Amen. Praise God. I think Tony's going to come and lead us in the Lord's table this morning.